Namaskar everybody and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a month of a break, but we're back at it again. Hit the subscribe button and the notification button to not miss any of the upcoming podcasts. Very excited for what's coming. And today's podcast is with Sunaina from Nepal, who's a classical Hatha Yoga teacher trained by Isha Foundation. And she actually went to Kailash with Sadhguru, which is one of the <laughs> very exciting things she spoke about, as well as Kashi Karama, being in Sadhguru's presence, physical presence, her experience of teaching outside and within the ashram, because she did volunteer and she was a staff at the Isha Rejuvenation Center. So all of this and much more, I hope you enjoy. Because I was such a different person. Different person is it? we have this impression that a person has to be a certain way to get into spirituality. Now I understand that that's a misconception. I think that is why so many people from all over the world resonate with spirituality, you know, because it's got nothing to do with caste and religion and creed, but it's to do with you and your efforts. I was looking for something where it was not about believing someone, it was about working hard to get results, you know, and that's what I like about Isha Foundation. That's what I like about Sadhguru. He initiates you into practices and he says, you have to create your own life. I remember one profound thing that he told us during the treks, you know, we used to trek with him every day. Today in our trek, you just look at everything without giving it a name. As we came closer to Kailash Mansarovar, you know, he, he kind of changed. Why is there such a difference between that reality and this reality? And then you start questioning, like, can it not be the same every moment? Do I have to always depend on an external in intoxication or an external factor to get me into that state? How are you? Namaskar. Namaskar. Thank you for coming onto the podcast. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. The audience really loves when they get to know a little bit more about like where you come from, how growing up was for you. So mm -hmm. if you if you if you could start by um, telling telling us about a little bit more about you and where that seed started where that seed started to sprout where yoga and spirituality really came in so i am from kathmandu in nepal which is a very spiritually charged up place which uh, so growing up my mother and my grandmother my i live in a joint family the 10 of us mm -hmm. and it's a very uh, my mother and my grandmother they're very religious you know they have their own puja rooms with like different pictures uh, pictures of different deities and every morning like they do their rituals till date so growing up, even I had a small like space in, in my grandmom's puja room, you know, where I would have a few pictures of deities and I would also, you know, put flower and flowers and just do. So I, I started this when I was five years old and I was always quite, I used to enjoy the process. I used to like, like I like the devotee, the devotion part of it. And I used to feel good. Now, when I look back, maybe energetically, I used to feel very vibrant after doing these, you know, uh, repeating these Sanskrit chants or, you know, lighting an incense or something like that. But I was never really curious about the, you know, to read about it or to know about, let's say, the Mahabharata or Ramayana. I wasn't, I wasn't ever inclined as such, though my grandmom did tell us, but it wasn't much of interest. But temple visiting in, for us as kids, I have a younger brother and two other cousin brothers in our joint family. 
So for us, like temple visits were a compulsory thing, you know, during festivals or, you know, during like, if like, you know, whatever, after holidays, we, we would have to go to these temples. Uh, so that was just part of our ritual. Like my first Mahashivratri was when I was five years old, <laughs> when I was like in Pashupati Nath. And it's so funny. I remember this so vividly. My dad and my uncle took us, uh, took me. And I remember they were all naked sadhus. I remember this, you know, and I was just like, what is going on? I was so young. Uh, but I remember that night being really powerful. Like I was quite overwhelmed as a young kid. But after that, I don't, I don't remember going for Shivratri again. But uh, so yeah, so I always grew up like going to temples. And then when I was nine years old, uh, I went to India for further studies to a boarding school in Rajasthan for nine years. This was just part of our family tradition. My grandparents, my parents, all of us did this, go to different boarding schools in India because I'm half Indian. So uh, I spent most of my time in Rajasthan. It was an all-girls school. And my brother, they were in the opposite brother school, which was an all-boys school. So when we would come back for our vacations, again, we had to keep going to, I mean, we would always go to temples. Like when we reached, we would visit like eight to 10 temples like in a day and come back. And before we left for boarding school, again, we would do that. So in a year, we would do that four times. Like I said, I never really got into why. I didn't question too much. I just enjoyed the process and that was about it. And I used to pray to God every night and, you know, have conversations with God, but that was about it. Uh, so, yeah, so most of my life is spent in boarding school amongst, I made a lot of good friends there because, you know, I grew up with these girls since I was nine years old till I was 18. So they were like my sisters, you know, very, very close friends I've made from all over the, from all parts of India. Uh, other than that, I had a lot of trouble adjusting in school. I was a very rebellious child, always getting into trouble with my teachers, always questioning the whole, you know, the, the rules and the regulations. So that was a huge struggle. I was very rebellious. Uh, and uh, so even in school, I used to, before going to bed, I used to read the Hanuman Chalisa every night with, and I had a picture of Saraswati, uh, who's like, you know, the god, goddess, Devi goddess of uh, knowledge. So my grandmom had given me her frame. So I would put her under my pillow and every night before sleeping, I would do that. But that was just part of it. I never really questioned it again. So, so yeah, my life was quite simple. For nine years, we were just, you know, uh, like going through with school and uh, then when I went to, uh, I, I finished school and then I went to Mumbai, to Bombay, to a university uh, called St. Xavier's there. I spent three years of my life and that's where, you know, I started uh, consciously, I was very curious about like meditation. I met a couple of people who were also into meditation and I also had some experimentation with psychedelics, which also opened me up to, you know, questioning things because, you know, you experience when you're in that state is so different and then you come back and then you're like, why is there such a difference between that reality and this reality? And then you start questioning, like, can it not be the same every moment? Do I have to always depend on an external uh, in intoxication or an external factor to get me into that state? So that was always my, uh, you know, question within, but I didn't stop, you know, indulging and experimenting and, you know, smoking marijuana here and there. And also that was the culture, you know, my college was, it's a very good college in India, but that was the culture there. And, and even in Nepal, there's, you know, I think the youth, everybody's doing it, not really questioning it, but everybody loves to get high. So that, that was how I was for many years. And 
that's when seeking happened. And then also I went through my whole like share of life experiences, relationships, which, you know, make you question, which open you up to different aspects of yourself, different emotions, you know. Uh, and then what happened is I was a very fit person in boarding school. I was very, I was into uh, hockey, uh, heavily into sports and very fit, I would say. So when I went to university, I thought I was invincible, you know. So I was living a very compulsive life like just based on impulse, you know, I want to eat, eat, I want to sleep, sleep, I want to smoke, smoke, I want to do and you know, there was no routine as such, you know, we were so young, we just wanted to explore. So that went on for quite some time. And after a few years, uh, I felt like it took a toll. Like I just started being, I lost a lot of weight, I was very lethargic, very irritable. And like, there was no clarity as such, you know, also the, there was a desire to do something. But there was no clarity as such. And also I had stopped praying, I would say. I had stopped, you know, that routine. And I had completely stopped any sort of like, uh, you know, inward process. Even, even if it was for five minutes that I was sitting, like read something, I was still closing my eyes, you know, or just connecting with myself. I completely stopped that. And I felt like, you know, I realized that it was quite important back then, but I didn't know how to get myself to do doing that again. I didn't connect to like, reading the Hanuman Chalisa, you know, I didn't connect to that. So then my aunt, who's very close to me, she had got into something called uh, Daisaku, um, uh, Isika Daisaku Buddhism. No, sorry, Daishonin. Uh, sorry, I'm getting the name not, uh, wrong, but it's called uh, Nam Yoha Renge Kyo. That's what he makes you do. Uh, he makes you chant uh, Nam Yoha Renge Kyo. And the whole thing is that when you chant it, that reverberation, is what like opens you up and anything you want, you know, you have to just attract it as you chant that. And there are books to read and you have to go for different meetings. So I didn't go to meetings as such, but I read a few books my aunt gave me and I used to try and chant. And I liked the whole ideology behind it where it was not about a deity or praying, but it was more like universal connecting to like, you know, yourself through nature or through vibrations or stuff like that. So. But so I, I did that for a few months, but again, I, you know, I didn't have that discipline. So I would do it for a few weeks and stop anyway. So all of that happened. And I think in those three years of my college life from 2009 to 2012 is when something in me was really longing for something more, you know, and you know, as Sadhguru says, when the pain of ignorance burns, like, you know, spirituality will open up. So I wasn't conscious that what I was seeking was something like more. You know, and I think that was there throughout my life, even in boarding school, I remember, because I was so rebellious, and I was, you know, I had so much energy, but I didn't like follow the rules and regulations. So I spent it a lot in arguing, fighting with teachers. So I remember my house mistress, who was like a monk, you know, she used to follow uh, Sai Baba, and she was like, Dinita Likanyan, was not married, meditated every day, she would tell me, you know, you should meditate. And she suggested I read, you know, uh, the monk who who, uh, who stole the Ferrari. I think that's the book, right? And I was just like, no, ma'am. I, I just took it like an insult, you know? I was like, no, I'm not going to read a book like this. Back then when I was like 15, 16. So I felt like that energy, which was so strong in me, which hadn't been used constructively, you know, when I went out of school, I, I kind of was a bit destructive. So in 2012, uh, I remember one of my friends, uh, she told me like, you know, there's a very powerful yogi who does meditations all night. So I was very intrigued and curious about meditation. And even my friends who I did psychedelics with, 
he would always guide me and say, you, know, you should meditate, you should meditate. So I was like, let's go, you know, I, I can't meditate on my own, but let's go check it out. So uh, she, me and another friend, that same friend, three of us, we, we went to this place called Juhu in Bombay, where they had a center. And over there, they were uh, broadcasting Sadhguru's uh, Mahashivratri uh, from South India. So when I entered, I saw him on the screen and I was like, yeah, okay, typical. Because, you know, in Nepal, like my grandmom has been into spirituality and she, my aunts, they all had been to Kailash when I was in college, you know. So I remember them calling me and saying, you know, we're going to this mountain and we could even die. And I was like, what? I was like, you're so weird, you know. So I was used to that, you know. My my grandmom had a, a, a sannyas who was very close to her. He used to come to the house. So I, I was used to your gurus with a long beard. So when I saw Sadhguru, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. So we made it for the midnight satsang. And uh, I remember they gave us food and then, you know, he comes and he's like, repeat this after me. So while repeating that, I don't know what it was, but I remember I was just going through a lot in my life. And while repeating that, you know, some memories came into my mind, which got me emotional. So I started like crying a little bit. And suddenly out of nowhere, I just was sobbing. And I didn't know what hit me. I just was sobbing so hard and I got embarrassed. I was like, what are my friends going to say? You know, luckily the lights were off. So anyway, uh, one friend of mine left and then there were just two of us. And I was like, you know, I'm going to stay on for some more time. So we stay, I stayed for two more hours and uh, we went back. So the next day I was just shaking. I was like, what happened? You know, why did I cry like that? You know, I was like, there was no reason for me to get so emotional. So I Googled Sadhguru and I connected to what he was saying, but I was just like, no, I was, I was getting very drawn to the words and, you know, what he was putting out there, but I was like, no, you know, he's too old and like, you know, this is for old people and he's got such a long beard, you know, I was 21 and I was like, oh, no, not my seat. And I left and I, and I, you know, didn't go further. But when I look back, it's so obvious, but I don't know, something happened that night. Maybe it was an initiation. I don't know, but my life really changed after that night, you know, and I left Bombay very abruptly. The plan was to stay there and work. I went back to Nepal after 12 years of being you know, in boarding school for most of my time. And I decided I'm going to be home for some time and you know, work there and just like get my life sorted in terms of discipline. And not just that, I thought I'll just be with family as well. Uh, so I came back and it was really funny, but the three years before I joined Isha in 2014, a lot of spirituality came to me in those three years when I went back home. Like I met, you know, people who introduced me to like, give me books of Osho or different other books, or I met healers, spiritual teachers, like, you know, and it was so funny that they would, you know, they would just tell me that you need, you should meditate, you should go into this path, you know, they would keep telling me these things that I and my mother, we always just laugh and be like, what? Because I was such a different person, different person isn't, we have this impression that a person has to be a certain way to get into spirituality. Now I understand that's a misconception. So, but, but back then, me and my mom and my family would just laugh and be like, no, you know, definitely not, like not me. So uh, I started reading some books uh, and one particular book called Laws of the Spirit World, I remember, uh, it really touched me, you know, it just talks about like what happens after death and what happens to the spirit. And, and it just opened me up to a different world altogether. And I was like, wow, what is this? Like, I never even thought that, I never thought about life so deeply, you know, uh, like after and before. So I think something happened. And then 
I did art of living. Like that's the first time I did art of living. I, I got, I did a program. And when I did the program, I remember the initiation was really good. Like, and when I came back and started doing the programs, the practices, I remember feeling really good. Like I could, like I was having a lot of experiences, you know, which really excited me. And I started Googling about them and it led me to different things. So I, I went to my parents. I was like, you know, I think this is happening to me. So they were just like, don't complicate life, you know, just be simple, just be normal, you know. So I was like, oh, okay. So I just stopped it, you know. I was, I was like, uh, like not like I lost motivation, and also it required discipline, and I don't, don't think I could, you know, maintain that discipline. So anyway, I continued with like, I went and I worked at an ad firm in Nepal. It was an American ad firm. I worked, I interned for six, seven months. Then I joined a Nepalese newspaper. It, it was a publication house. I worked there for two years where we, um, I was uh, doing media, marketing, and a little bit of journalism, a little bit, but more of marketing. So when I was working for the newspaper, you know, every weekend we were covering like, in Nepal, you know, and uh, just reading that all the time, you know, just made me wonder what's going on, like, you know, made me more aware of what is happening in the world. And it kind of like, uh, it urged me, like, you know, I felt restless. I was just like, you know, the solutions are given, they say they will implement, but they really don't. And we're just running in circles again and again. So I was like, how do we get to the root, root problem? And that's where there was this desire for me to, you know, want to do something where I can contribute to the world, where I could like help, you know, be part of a solution rather than, you know, a problem. But I was very aware that I had my own limitations as a human being. I had my own compulsions. I was not disciplined, you know. I was doing the basic. I was going to my office, coming back, earning money partying in the weekends, hanging out with friends, saving money, traveling the world, of traveling places. I was doing those things. But if I really looked within, I was not disciplined, you know. And also, I don't know, I, I just had this desire to do something more. And also, my family is from politics. You know, I come from a political family where I've seen my grandfather, my uncle, my father, all of them, you know, being involved. My dad is not a politician, but my uncle and grandfather are. But my dad is equally involved. So just seeing them also, you know, working so hard to you know, help for the betterment of the country. But, you know, it's been, you know, Nepal goes to so many ups and downs anyway. So, uh, so I, I don't know, maybe that influence also. Uh, so then, um, yeah, so that's what happened. And then uh, a friend of mine told me about teacher training in 2012. And I didn't connect and resonate back then. But three years later, when I, you know, was done with like, uh, and you know, doing an office job, and I, I, I wanted to do something. You know, I was seeking, like, in the sense, I wanted to pursue my further studies. I thought I, I wanted to just do my masters, so I left and I went and I stayed with my aunt in the U.S. for three years. Oh, sorry, for three months, and I went and visited my friends. Like, you know, checked out a few colleges, and just, I was like, what do I want to do with my life? Then I was like, I want to do something with development studies, but I was, I've never been academically so inclined, so I was like. I don't know if I can pull that off, but I really wanted to do something where I could help and help myself. So I thought to help myself, I should learn an instrument. I don't know to go inward. I should know an instrument and to help the world, I should do development studies. You know, that's what I thought in my head. Anyway, so while I was in America, I came across this book called Eating Animals. And uh, again, that book just completely, it really left a deep impact because I was eating meat all my life. And that, I had no idea that where meat comes from, what, how animals are treated, you know, the whole business behind the meat industry. I had no clue. I was so naive and ignorant. And 
I remember while reading that book, I would just be in tears, you know, I would just have to shut that book. And I, I was actually quite like sad for a few days, few weeks, because I, I, I didn't think that the world would be so corrupt that they wouldn't, wouldn't even leave food, you know, I just thought food would be pure, you know. So I decided that I would definitely be a non, uh, I would turn into a vegetarian. But I was like, once I go back home, I wasn't emotionally, you know, like, oh, like, in a sense, like, I didn't leave meat immediately. Logically, I had to educate myself. So then the book led me to a documentary, which led me to, you know, see it visually, which left a deeper impact. And then I came back to Nepal, and then I left meat. And that was a big thing, you know, like, of course, amongst my family and friends. And then and then I, my friend got in touch with me again, who told me about teacher training. And then he told me uh, that he's planning to go for teacher training. And I didn't know what exactly teacher training was. I had no clue what Sadhguru really was. All I, I was just like, you know, Rohan, could you please give me the link? I, I think I'll join you. And then he's like, what? You're going to join me? And then I was like, yeah, just give me the link. You know, I was like, I, I said, I've been trying to get discipline go to the gym or try something and be regular at it. But I've been struggling the last three, four or seven years. I said, I need a boot camp kind of environment. And 21 weeks seems like perfect, you know. And I said, I'll get a teacher training uh, certificate. Once I go to the US, I can teach it part-time, you know, earn pocket money. So that was the plan. So I told my parents, they were shocked. They were like, yoga teacher? Like, from where? And then I, then I told them why, you know. And then they were like, okay. Let's be fair, you, whatever yoga you know, the one you learned with Art of Living, you practice it every day. And you see for one, two months if you really want to do it. Because, you know, it's... So I said, okay, fair enough. So uh, I started doing the yoga every day, Surya Namaskar. And uh, it felt good. Every day, I just was drawn to it even more and more. I consciously did not watch too many of Sadhguru's videos because I was skeptical. And I was like, I don't want to get brainwashed by a guru. So I watched very few videos out of which one of them he talks about he says if you want to change the world i don't know his exact words but this is the gist he said if you want world peace poverty be all of these problems in the world to be taken care of the most important aspect is we need to tap into human consciousness you know people need to go inward so that really resonated and i was like oh okay you know this will even come handy for what i want to do with my development studies you know in my master so Anyway, so then that year I lost my aunt to cancer and just to see her get so bad in just three years, three months, and then fourth, fifth month she passed away was eye-opening for me. Like, you know, uh, you know, I was, I, I couldn't believe that, you know, not neglecting yourself or a disease could, you know, just take you away like that, you know. So I was really shaken and it motivated me and I was like I definitely want to take care of my health you know I've neglected it for many years I don't want to live like this anymore and then a few years late few months later there was that earthquake which happened in 2015 in Nepal so that again was a very very intense experience for me after losing an aunt to cancer because at that moment when the earthquake happened you just realize how insignificant everything is you know in a moment everything can just collapse like you know, everything we're working so hard towards, be it our families, our careers, everything, it just goes, it, it, or it could go just with like one event. So it just really shook me. And I was just like, quite like shocked for a few days. I was like, what? I think everybody was in Nepal, you know? But these two incidents uh, like strengthened my desire to go to teacher training even more. So 
that's how I ended up going to teacher training. And a month prior to that, I had done, I did in engineering because the school said, you know, at least do in engineering. So I did that. And it was really good. It was really good. Uh, though the morning videos were very challenging for me <laughs> because, you know, I was just dozing off and I was like, how am I going to pull off teacher training? Because obviously it's going to be early in the morning. But while practicing Shambhavi Mahamudra, you know, what the funny part was, when I got initiated while doing Shambhavi, it's so funny while, well, you know, the whole process when we're closing our eyes, right? When that process was going on, it took me back to that night three years earlier when, I, when that Mahashivratri thing happened when I was crying. And the way I felt that evening, I felt the same then. And I was like, what the heck? What's going on? Like, you know, it was so surreal that moment. Anyway, so I, I was doing my practices every day. I was hell-bent that I want to complete uh, the, the mandala. So I completed the mandala. Two weeks I was in Nepal, and then the other two weeks I completed it during teacher training. But in those two weeks itself, you know, I could see myself so vibrant. I was looking fresher. I was looking brighter. I hadn't left my job yet. My people at work were like, why are you looking so bright and fresh? And I was like, I'm feeling so good. And then... I remember I went with I went for a meeting with my boss to a, a particular hotel and the GM of the hotel had ordered wine. So, you know, he ordered a glass of wine for three of us. And I remember drinking it and I could polish off three glasses, I think, or more. I drank half the glass and I got so drunk. And I was like, this is so strange. How am I so drunk with just half a glass? And I was like, what am I doing different? The only thing different was this teacher tree, I mean, Shambhavi. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, you know. Uh, I was like, if I can be free of all of these intoxicants and get high with my own by myself, that would be so cool. But I never thought that could be possible. So I was like, okay, let's think about that later. Let's take it step by step. And anyway, so that's how I came into teacher training. And that's a very long story, Stephen. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. It's fine. It's you you fine. have to cut me because I have, a, I have a tendency to give too much information. So you can just cut me, please. No, it's, I, I, I love the way that things kind of really came together in a certain way. And what I'm really cu curious about is actually you coming from um, a rather ritualistic religious background and now um, moving into in Isha Foundation, who is also making use of those rituals, but not in a religious way, rather than, um, I mean, rather using it um, as a tool, as a technique. So mm -hmm. did, you, did you ever question, because you said you were a very rebellious child and you were very rebellious in school, did you ever um, question your, that prayer, that religion, that talking to God? Because, you mm -hmm. know, with, no. I because, never did. I, I just didn't. I just, I was a bit strange though. I don't even think my family, friends know that. I would just be talking to God randomly also if there was something going on in my mind, you know. It was like God was just someone who was around, like, you know, like someone who I would just talk to. No, not like, like in my head, mentally, not like, like aloud, but no, I never questioned it. I just was not even interested, you know, I just, I just felt good, you know, going to those spaces and I felt, you know, like good. And that's the thing, I didn't do too much. I just like read like just the Hanuman Chalisa and that was it, you know, and uh yeah no I, I didn't question it and mm. how how do you how do you feel about it now uh, looking looking back at at that because you know how i mean Sadhguru says we're moving from religion to responsibility 
and that mm -hmm. people people get easily caught up in in praying so mm -hmm. now now after being in touch with with isha and um and listening and uh, embodying the what Sadhguru says how, do you feel differently about uh, prayer or what's what's your relationship to prayer now so it changed dramatically after i got into uh, yogic practices so like i said earlier when i would go to temples i would go with like ritualistic stuff which we would prepare at home and uh, i would just go and you know give that to the uh, priest and just say god thank you for everything bless my family bless my friends please help me do well you know a small prayer when i went after teacher training when i went back home when i went to that space I was so shaken because it was so powerfully energized and I was meditating and that praying just completely stopped since that day I don't pray anymore I mean since then I don't pray anymore I just go to those temples and I bask in that energy I just sit close my eyes get super drunk super charged and it's amazing because there's so many different temples in Nepal and each temple is so differently consecrated you know so me and this other friend of mine who who's a good friend from Nepal, childhood friend. He's also done a lot of uh, Isha programs. Him and I, we would go like twice a month, you know, not this year, but a couple of years earlier. Uh, and we would just go to these different temples and meditate, you know. And so the whole equation, whatever, relation to temple going has changed dr dramatically. And I hope that, you know, people who are purely religious, religious, I don't want to take that away from them because for people who are devotees, who are so devoted to God, you know, through their emotions, you know, I don't want to take that away from them, nor do I want to comment on that. That's person to person, because I see my grandmother, I see my mother, they're very devoted people, you know, mm -hmm. they have a lot of faith and with their beliefs. They both do uh, Isha yoga programs, they both do Hatha yoga. So they're doing their sadhana, but I just feel one thing is that, you know, Nepal, they believe a lot, I mean, they have calendars which talks about Ikadasi, which talks about full moon, all that. But I feel the way it is taught to us at Isha, it's not followed the same way in Nepal. Not I don't know about Nepal, but it's not followed the same way, let's say in my house, in, in the exact way, the way it's supposed to be followed. So I feel like, you know, I wish that the religious aspect of it, because everything from the scriptures, everything there is, it's a Sanskrit chant. If you chant it, it is energized. It can do something to your system, to your life energies, you know? So I feel if we were made more aware of that aspect, then it would be even more enriching, you know? Because right now it's just, you're just doing it, like without you really using that kind of involvement and awareness, I'd say it's more coming from like, just like praying, at least from my side, you know, I was just literally praying. So, uh, yeah, the shift for me was very good because I think like I was looking for something where it was not about believing someone. It was about like working hard to get results, you know, and that's what I like about Isha Foundation. That's what I like about Sadhguru is that he makes you work in the sense he initiates you into pra practices and he says, you have to create your own life. So you have to work for your inner life as well, inner, inner journey, you know. So, you know, because, you know, because there's Adi Yogi and there's so much to do with Shiva, a lot of times I see and I feel that a lot of people can misunderstand what's happening at the foundation and think that Isha as well is a very religious ashram. 
especially you know hindus who look at adi yogi definitely like so many of my friends and family think that isha is purely religion you know but uh what sadguru is trying to do is he's trying to bring in the mythical the mythology of religion and the stories of i mean all the stories he's tra- he's trying to show you the scientific reasoning behind everything you know which is which is really nice and i think that is why so many people from all over the world resonate with spirituality you know because it's got nothing to do with caste and religion and creed but it's to do with you and your efforts yes right? i i love that because i've seen people struggle with the idols like linga bhairavi temple even when i came to the ashram i was like i don't want to go into these temples because back like i'm coming from a christian background and i never like going to church because i felt like somebody's trying to teach me something somebody's trying mm-hmm. to tell me how to live how to pray how what not to do and i never felt like welcomed i always felt like just as you shared i love being in nature and that is where i find god or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it myself mm-hmm. um and and so when i came to the ashram i was like wait all this time i thought this is not about religion why do we have a temple here but even mm-hmm. sadguru says you know he he it, it was like for him he would rather be in the mountains than at the ashram he would you know he doesn't need a, a temple he doesn't need these things it's just about mm-hmm. uh, offering this to the people so they can make use of it for their own growth and so through my time at the ashram i you know in the beginning i i really did everything so that i not have to go and sit there and i was like just counting the drops that were dropping onto the dhyana linga and mm-hmm. i was just think all the time i was thinking about it and not being there at all i was just in my in my mind in my head and so but i would say maybe 3 4 months into the practices i started to feel drawn to go and now back at home i brought you know the goodie and i always have lamps on because i feel the difference mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. and so i don't see it as an idol anymore because i don't mm-hmm. pray i don't pray to to it i i rather see it as a part of myself as an extension mm-hmm. of myself that i don't look mm-hmm. up to but i rather like strive to let that aspect of creation become a part of me so yeah. the feminine and devi or adiyogi um is is just to or even jesus you know for me coming from a background of a christian background even him i i i don't worship him you know that's what i didn't like about the church as well they put him up like they put him upon the wall and crucified uh-huh. and i was looking at him and i was like why is like why do we put someone Are, are we glorifying that someone got crucified why don't we put a beautiful picture of him of him there you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. No, i understand mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. no carry on so definitely what you said is is the same for me now looking back at it i i feel very connected and even curious about uh, a certain parts of the bible about certain things that jesus said because i look at it in in such a different way and a lot of it has to do with also sadguru explaining um and going into the teachings and looking into what it is that he actually why why he said certain things 
because mm -hmm. I feel like we're missing out on that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. No, it's true. No, you know, you were talking about like idol worshiping, like there's one person. I see that a lot of a lot of times, a lot of people also look at like, let's say the Isha Foundation like that. Like a lot of people question you, why do you have one guru or why do you follow just one guru? You know, it looks like a cult. You know, a lot of this happened, like people have been telling tell me this, like in the last six years, you know, it's been many years now, but, you know, so, um, and that's, that's the, you know, uh, it's such a fine line between like perceiving it as a cult or perceiving it for what it is in the sense that like, I mean, when I got into Isha, I did not know that, I didn't know what spirituality was consciously. I didn't know how deep it was, you know. And because the Isha Foundation is so uh, focused on one's spiritual growth, it's such a, like externally on social media, you know, the way they market and advertise it, it could give people different, uh, like, you know, they, they've done it according to the way it is today in the 21st century, mm -hmm. to cater to the world so that it's attractive to the attractive to the world like you know how Sadhguru was saying when I talk deep people don't really watch those videos but when I talk about something to do for your body or your health you know there's so many views so it has yeah. to happen like that you know so I think I'm sure for us for me also I wanted to get fit and all of that yeah. but uh, when you go deep into the spiritual aspect of it the yogic practice practices the meditative practice out of it having a guru is very supportive you know for me like because I've spent so many years at the ashram, most of my time in the last six years and, you know, been through different kinds of processes and my sadhana has, you know, changed so many, so much, you know, different levels or whatever. I mean, definitely having a guru is a huge support because, you know, you could feel very overwhelmed and frightened and, you know, you could even lose balance at times if you don't have not just your guru, but even let's say a brahmachari or a teacher or even a friend who's not a friend, can't really help in that but like you know person who's been in this path longer who's experienced you know that guidance that sangha is so important and I think that is something which is sometimes misunderstood you know it's looked at as a cult rather than it like you know because when we need to study we go to a teacher when we want to learn music we go to a mu musician you know when we want to learn dance we go to a teacher for spirituality too why why is there so much of an ego problem or why is there so much of fear in people you know for a guru but then again because there have been so many corrupt gurus in the world and you know they've exploited people that is one reason why people are a bit skeptical or you know even wild wild country in on netflix you know you know so i understand where it's coming from but i do feel for people who have who've experienced the sense of what it is and who have been touched and transformed it's a huge responsibility to very gently you know inspire and share with people around the world because it's, I think it's something which is um, is the it's needed in today's day and age in a big way. So yeah. Yes. Tell us more about <laughs> your time at the ashram as you spent um, there as it's, as a staff and as a long time volunteer. I would love to know more. So so after my teacher training, which was five months, uh, you know the training was so intense. It was. We were doing seven, eight hours of yoga every day for 21 weeks, no Sunday off. Uh, it was another, it was another ball game altogether. You know, the way I think, the way all of us participants looked the first day and then the last day it was so different. I remember this so clearly. You know, even when you look at pictures, all of us had a huge transformation, a huge shift. 
so uh, for me after that i felt like you know i i didn't want to after i did my samyama i was clear i don't want to do my masters so i continued as a staff at the rejuvenation center where i was teaching and i was getting paid we have different health programs there or disease oriented programs so we as teachers were helping the uh, teaching aspect of it so uh, spending long periods of time at ashram has always been very very intense for me it's always been very fast you know uh, because i've spent long periods of time at the ashram and then i've come out and spent long periods of time outside i can clearly see that there's a huge shift in just the way you experience life or the way your mind functions emotions function is such a huge difference it's unbelievable i'm sure you've had that experience as well right so uh, so so yeah so basically for me ashram like i'm leaving uh, in a few days like i'm going back after a year and i'm really excited but i'm so nervous you know because i know what is going what's going to happen you know i think when you're outside you can you can control things more you know you can control your life your life in the sense it's not as like when i'm in the ashram i feel like i'm just like in the water and i just have to swim you know somehow i feel like a process has started and you don't understand it quite literally you know you just don't understand it because you have just such different ups and downs with your emotions and just the way your sadhana is it gets so intense and uh, exaggerated and you know uh, you know uh, so it's one of the best things i've done for myself is spent long periods of time at the ashram and i would recommend it to anybody who has that opportunity to do that they must do it because growth happens very fast there not just your spiritual practices but even the way you know your likes and dislikes are poked at your ego is poked at how you're always in a difficult situation you know no matter what like it's so funny it's like you get comfortable and i don't know how the space knows it you'll just get into another difficult situation right so it's like you're constantly you, you know you're constantly in action mode you know and because you're doing so much action when you're actually sitting and meditating it's so blissful it's so still you know so it's this whole thing about so much action and yet so much stillness which uh which i don't you know i'm not able to motivate myself when i'm outside to that extent and also i feel like it's more mellow when you're out when you're in it's more hardcore like it's it's like you're on fire you know so uh people ask me why do you keep going back you know like if it's so challenging or you know, people who've been in the ashram but you know i feel each one of us know where we stand in terms of stability balance you know so i feel like depending on where you want to reach accordingly you know you you decide how you want to take your life forward so accordingly you plan either you want to be in the ashram or sometimes you know people don't feel the need and then they go out so for me ashram has been uh, i think it's it's been uh, very fast what made you choose to to leave and not stay um, full time like not come out again uh, i don't have the courage <laughs> to do that i don't have the courage to sign up for full time i haven't done it yet it's been quite a few years but uh you know i i want if i am going to sign up for full time then i don't want to ever come out of it you know i don't want to uh leave and i don't want to do that you know so i want to be 100% sure that i want to be full time i have been full time on the path since teacher training since samyama 
like in terms of my dedication, my perseverance, my discipline, everything. That's been full-time teaching everything. But full-time ashram way, like I haven't applied for that because, you know, I look at the full-timers and it's a different different level of commitment, you know. They can't come out when they when they want, you know. There's certain periods of time that they can come out and it's it just takes a lot. And I really have a lot of respect for all of them. The people at the ashram that I've come across, you know, be it the, the brahmacharis or be it just the residents and the teachers or or full-timers, you know, I have so much respect for them because it's it's so challenging, you know, just breaking yourself and, you know, seeing your flaws and like not being comfortable and always living in discomfort willingly. It takes a lot. So uh, I just feel I'll end up like fighting with someone. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, let me get balanced. So I'm just working on that balance and, you know, comfortable, not comfortable, but will be long-term for some more time. Um, you spoke about your family going to Kailash and visiting Kailash and I know that you've been there too I've Mm -hmm. met I've met a few people from Isha who who went there with um, with Isha Foundation so Mm -hmm. if you could I would love for you to share your experience of going there Mm -hmm. so uh, my my family had told me when I was like much younger and that was all I didn't think too much about it but uh when I, when during BSP, you know, one of the programs at Isha, they show you a clip, a short clip of uh, Kailash Mansarovar. And I just remember Mansarovar looked so beautiful. And I was like, wow, I want to go there someday, but I'm not keen right now. But anyway, after my Samyama, that's when everything was a huge shift in everything. And uh, a few days after that, my mom had come from Ashivratri. It was my first Ashivratri. And that's when we decided, no, that's when it was so strange how it all happened. I remember Sadhguru entered, we were uh, attending mystic conversations with the mystic, with this designer called Sabdesachi Mukherjee. And I remember they, he was, he'd entered and I had just come out of Samyama, you know, that whole sam, oh, Samyama, I don't know. You've done Samyama, right? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you do it last? Uh, no, the year before. The year before, okay. So yeah, so I did it in 2016 and then I don't know. I was just so sensitive to everything after Samyama. So I remember Sadhguru would enter and I just had tears rolling. And my mom was like, what happened? And I was like, I don't know. And then she gave me a hanky. And we're listening to him. And I haven't mentioned anything about Kailash to my mother. And out of nowhere, she just comes and she whispers. And she's like, if you want to go to Kailash, you know, tell your family, tell your granddad, tell your dad, they'll send you. And I looked at her and I was like, really? I was like, mom, if I if I go, I'll, I'll know. What I had done is in Surya Kun, sorry, there were pictures of Kailash and Pashupati Nath. Mm. So I was showing it to her the day before and I was like, see, this is Pashupati, they go for this yatra. So I don't know, she, I didn't tell her I wanted to go, but she just, I don't know. She randomly just said that. And that's when I was like, mom, if I go, I'm going to go with Sadhguru, you know. I saved up for my master's, but after Samyama, it's clear I don't want to go for my master's. So, you know, so anyway, so I ended up going six months after Samyama and, uh, you know, mm, Samyama was so intense for me that I just had such a strong desire to just be in Sadhguru's presence, you know. I was so overwhelmed with everything that had happened that I just wanted to like, I don't know, like I needed some stability and balance. I needed some grounding, you know, and I wanted to be in that in that space. So when I went there, it was just, uh, just the entire experience of those 21 days from, you know, one week they take you on a trek to Nepal and then they take you to Tibet. Throughout the trek, 
throughout the trip, you know, Sadhguru was just preparing all of us each day and, you know, just to see how, like, you know, he's such an inspiration because, you know, if I just look at him as just life, you know, just as a human being, he's just like a child, like he's so childlike and he's just so much life, you know, just exploding with so much compassion. Like I've never come across such a compassionate human being. He was so sweet to all of us and just so loving and just so kind and, you know, he really, he like just melted all our hearts with that love and compassion and tenderness. So, uh, so yeah, that was very beautiful just being in that space. But also, uh, as we came closer to Kailash Mansarovar, you know, he, he kind of changed his way. He changed, you know, he started becoming really distant, very serious, really intense, you know, which was a bit overwhelming. We were like, what's happened to him, you know? <laughs> and, and something was happening to him as well. And, and it was actually quite challenging being around him, you know, it was very intense. And so the, the, the pilgrimage for me was a mixture of very like beautiful, very a lot of love, but at the same time, it was very tough and very intense. Like the closer we got, the more scared I got, I wanted to run away. I remember when we reached Tibet, I was like, I want to go back. I'm so scared. I want to go back. I just got so overwhelmed by, you know, just being in a space because he's so charged, you know, when you're around him, like, I don't know. It's just, you want to run away. Yeah, I don't know what it is. So, and you want to be close at the same time as well. So it's that funny feeling. So I remember one profound thing that he told us during the treks, you know, we used to trek with him every day was, he said this before one of our treks, he said that, you know, today in our trek, you just look at everything without giving it a name. He's saying, when you look at the sky, don't look at it and be like, huh, that's the sky, or that's a tree, or that's a bird, or that's the road. He's saying, forget English language, just look at things and just look at it for what it is without bringing the memory of your, of language you know this is what he meant these are not his words but this is what he meant I found that so interesting you know I just it, it seemed like a psychedelic trip you know where you're just looking at things and you're just reverberating with it because there's no mental stuff that you're connecting with but you're just simply looking and you know so I think that was very very profound for me and uh, when we reached Kailash Mansarovar you know that space is so charged it's so overwhelming I don't know what to call it, but it's just so close to, I don't know, heaven. I don't know, grace. I don't know what it is, but it's a very, very powerfully created space where, you know, I think everybody should go there once if they can, you know, it's a very, very special place. Um, so the initiation, everything was just very overwhelming. You know, I felt it was a continuation of Samyama and uh, it just left me, it just humbled me, you know, it just made me feel so small. And it wasn't just particularly Kailash Mansarovar, but that whole one year of teacher training, all the programs, Samyama, and then, you know, the cherry on the cake was Kailash Mansarovar, where you realize you're so small, you're so irrelevant, you know, and you have to keep reminding yourself. And when something so overwhelming hits you, you know, like Kailash, the initiation process was so overwhelming that when something like that happens, then, you know, everything just drops, you know, like, for me, like, you know, my rebellious nature or being immature or like, you know, wasting my time, just like damaging my body so much, you know, damaging in the sense like not taking care of it, doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, you know, you just start valuing things in a very different way. And I think all, all that happened, you know, 
and just a huge responsibility you know sadguru just gives his life and energy into you you know so when that kind of stuff is in you be it with any program or anything you know you just want to be responsible and you want to you know take it out and expand it and make it grow not sadguru isha foundation per se because that's where people get stuck you know but it's what he's giving the yogic sciences you know spirituality so yeah that's is there more that you can share about the initiation because generally we know in initiation as getting a practice or you know being initiated into a practice what kind of is there any information about this initiation what what kind of initiation it actually is like what is it doing uh, you mean this where he puts your yeah. he puts so i mean what he says is he says that this i'm initiating you so that you're open to receive what kailash has to offer so he saying this initiation is only for kailash mm-hmm. you know uh he didn't go into the details of it i read a lot of it online but uh the initiation was really powerful for me i remember when my turn was coming you know the volunteer tapped me and said you know your next so there were three more people ahead of me and the closer i was going to him the more i was just breaking i was just sobbing so hard and when i reached him i was just it was so bad not embarrassing but it was so overwhelming like i was literally like i was like hitting not hitting like banging but i was hitting my head on the ground because i was so overwhelmed when i look back i'm like what happened to me i don't know i wouldn't do that like i'm so cool right but over there i was just i was destroyed i would say i was just totally destroyed and and then when when the initiation happened i wouldn't want go into the details of it but i remember i was like oh i'm not feeling anything when he put his hand i was like i'm not feeling anything and then something then something happened you know and i couldn't wake up <laughs> i just i don't know what happened and then sadguru had to wake me up because i don't know i just i don't know where what but and then uh, and then i woke up and then i went and i just meditated and then when the initiation ended me and Kap, we i was still sitting and then something happened with the mountain you know and i wish i could share it but i would yeah. not share it it could good. just lead to lot you know yes. controversy i don't know it just people could misunderstand yeah, yeah and people might it's imagine fun. things so yeah it's good to keep these things for yourself but yeah that's already yeah. a lot yeah so what happened with that mountain was just i couldn't believe life can exist like that it was just mm-hmm. unreal and to be honest like a lot of my logic was destroyed throughout teacher training and all of that mm-hmm. but this mountain just overwhelmed me you know and the funny part is few months later when i did samyama sadhana i had the exact same experience in the dhyanalinga temple and i was shocked i couldn't believe it i was just like what like how is that even possible you know so then i was like it's all the same you know what i mean just the 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 intensity of it could be different because that's a mountain and it's open and dhyanalinga is like it's more i don't know but yeah that is such an interesting experience wow yeah that's wonderful it's like it's like experiencing something in satguru's presence and then doing a meditation by satguru in your home and experiencing the same that's how it was for me i had like a certain experience meditating with satguru and then i did a meditation 
with my dad actually when I went through inner engineering with him and I had it was a very similar emotion or a very similar way that I felt as I felt when I was with him mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. similarly sounds like having an experience mm -hmm. in the temple and mm -hmm. at Kalash mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. you, you use a lot of uh, like when you talk about it you uh, you meant you say it's kind of a psychedelic experience and you coming from a background where you used to take psychedelics how do you look at psychedelics now do you feel like it can be useful in a certain way for someone to maybe push them to go into the spiritual path or is it does it uh, leave an uh, like a long-term impact on the on the brain you know that's a good question uh, so there was a period in my life where i was a firm believer that once in a person's life they must try LSD at least once and they should smoke at least once because I felt that when I experimented with psychedelics what it did to me was it opened me up beyond what I knew in the limitations of my five senses it opened me up and it made me experience life in a very uh, in a much more expanded way in a much more deeper way in a much more I would say like very deep way, you know, which was very real, which I never saw before, you know, like, so it added a lot of richness in my life, I would say. But yes, there are side effects to it, because, you know, you just have to take it in and immediately you're on this intense altered state for hours straight, you know, the way it hits your nervous system, you know, it has side effects, because Nervous, the nervous system is your most sense, one of the most sensitive parts of your system and how sensitive your nervous system is will, will determine how you experience life around you, how sensitive you are to everything around you. So there's definitely a side effect. I felt like, you know, uh, there is a little bit of a side effect there for sure. Like, you know, uh, and now when I have, you know, worked so hard to, you know, to make my body into a temple or to you know align the body to be so particular about it and do everything so properly i can't imagine taking lsd i think it would be very detrimental for my growth very detrimental for my for my body you know because when you're doing yogic practices you realize what goes into you know receiving or experiencing a certain state, you know, it takes a lot of hard work, it takes a lot of discipline. It, if you want to do it in a way where you're not disturbed by any, if you want to do it with absolute, in, in the purest sense possible, when no external factors disturbing it or coming, then it takes, a, it takes some sort of effort. It's not so easy just to pop it in, you know. So I feel like when you're doing yogic practices, you're slowly climbing up the ladder. Once you hit it, that peak, you never go down. It's with you all the time, anywhere, every moment. So now when I say it's like, it's like an LSD experience is that, you know, just today I was eating lunch in the garden and I was eating and I was just looking at the trees and the crows and I'm just tripping. Like, I'm not exaggerating. Just, I'm just so stoned and buzzed. What effort? Nothing. It's just because I've invested a couple of years on these practices and I've hit a certain stage and that's it. You can access it anytime. 
Whereas for LSD, it makes you very dependent. I know a lot of family and friends who, you know, they, I mean, I used to think like this, like, you know, once a year, you know, you go travel to a beautiful place and you trip, you know, but it kind of makes you dependent and it definitely affects your nervous system. It, it, it makes your system, your organs weaker. It makes everything a bit more rusty, you know, and it's a chemical, you know, so there has to be side effects to it. You know, I won't go into the details of certain experiences I've had, but uh, I'll tell you that later in private. But, <laughs> you know, uh, definitely it's more organic, more real. It's, it's, it, it doesn't delude you. When you're doing LST, you can also be in a delusion mm. at times, you know? Yes, there's such a small gap between intuition and real experience and imagination and delusion. Yeah. Yes. It's so close. And LSD could do that to you, mm. actually. It could really do that to you. Like, even like in Psy parties and stuff, you know, uh, the music there, the good music, you know, because it's all vibration. I love like, like, you know, music where there's electronic music or psychedelic music. I've always liked that kind of music, you know, but I see that most people there are all on heavy drugs and then experiencing the music, you know. I remember two and a half years ago, a friend of mine who's a DJ, he had come to Nepal and he was performing and me and my friend, we'd gone there. And I, he's a, he's a very good musician and his music was so good. And I was just dancing so much. I felt like I was on all the drugs. I was, I felt like I was on all drugs, just so high. People were like, are you high? I was like, no, I like, you know, they were like, you've taken nothing. I said, no. And that's the possibility of doing yoga meditation that it can make you like one of the best things that I've achieved from yoga meditation is that, I'm constantly drunk and stoned and high. <laughs> and that's what I loved doing before. I used to love getting high. And not just me. I think everybody in the world wants to expand. Mm. So they're smoking, they're drinking to relax their nerves, you know. But when you've invested on yourself, it's actually, you know, it's like, it's a silly example, but it's like, like there's nothing wrong with a Maruti car, but it's like you're driving a Maruti car, but when you tap into this possibility, which is, in us, which is like, it's an explosion. You know, when you tap it, it's so explosive. It's so strong, it's so forceful. It's, it's like it's like the speed of a BMW. It's so fast, you know, the, the quality, the everything. It's so sophisticated, it's so, you know, pure and intense. So I, you know, I so wish like, you know, more and more people experience this because you know for people who've known me they've known me like someone who's like loves to get high or loves to get stoned or loves to party you know and I took this 365 degree turn and they just couldn't believe it they just thought I was weird you know and I would tell them that I swear to god like you could actually get drunk and stoned because a lot of times people ask me how come someone like you has managed to maintain this and I'm like because you get so drunk you get so stoned that's why I was like I still, I'm like seeking for, you know, intoxication, but I worked hard for a certain period of time and then you just have it all the time. So, <laughs> yes. I, yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. 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 I used to always, when Sadhguru was saying you can be high without taking drugs, I was like, no, this is not possible for me. This I need to, as a what? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. It, it is. 100% for sure. It does take commitment, but it's worth it. You know what the funny thing is? I remember in Samyama program when I did Samyama, you know how Sadhguru barely talks? He hardly speaks, right? And so 
suddenly he goes like those of you who've tried lsd don't know how much damage you've done to yourselves and i was like what <laughs> i was just like oh my goodness that's me <laughs> you know so i don't know why he said that and a year later in lapo master he said that spirituality can be like a 24/7 lsd trip and i was like oh is it and it really is it really is like in terms of just realizing that everything in the existence is just energy vibrating like if you just look at things you just are you know buzzing and it's time to move from just reading it in a book and understanding it intellectually to really experiencing it you know and i think it has to start in education it has to start from a young age because you know you see the sanskriti children right yeah. look at those kids like they're so lucky you know they don't have to make that extra effort like how how we've made you know because they've just got it since they were young and it's just something which is which is part of their life and you know so i think one of the biggest reasons why it's so difficult for humanity to really go inward is because it's because we've not been introduced to it as as you know young children or so yeah i remember i remember talking to one swami at the ashram and i was i was asking him because he had he he seemed not to have any compulsions when it comes to food and i was always struggling uh, not struggling mm-hmm. as much as i would at home but i was always like i want something sweet i would some uh, you know i'm craving pizza or whatever and i asked him do you never mm-hmm. crave pizza he said i never had pizza like in his life he always had wholesome fresh food indian cuisine and he never like he doesn't have even that thought of oh my god i'm craving pizza because i feel like a lot of the things that we want or crave are just things that we are used to are just things that it's like a, like a conditioning and so changing mm-hmm. changing that and that we can see with isha sanskriti kids you know once they come out of the ashram um they don't go like they don't go into some nonsense they don't go into cravings they don't go into compulsions they're just they just reach a certain level and just as you said once you once you're there you're there you're just there yeah yeah no you know it's interesting thing you shared because even at home you know we have some helpers who've been with us for many years and these people remind me of life in ashram they're living like our life in ashram you know they're waking up early in the morning they're working for hours they take cold water shower they eat two times a day you know they've not grown up eating pizzas and donuts and all of things we've, we've grown up with so they don't really care much their immunities are so strong you know their immunities are so strong you know you can, and they they gardening they're doing these different things you know and looking at them i just realized that's what it is it's that lifestyle that we need to make a shift you know like it it really makes a huge difference you know and they they all have this you know and they most of them are not educated but the intelligence they have is so much more deeper than us educated people you know i can see it so clearly because i've grown up living with them you know so it's 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 a uh, it's so interesting yes education yeah. education can mess you up in many ways also because you start to calculate maybe a last thing that i would love for you to share uh, as far as you you can is your experience of uh, doing the kashi krama 
Kashi Krama. Yes, yes. I I never met anybody who, or maybe no, actually no, I don't know anybody who who did that. So basically, Kashi Krama happened two years ago, and I think that was the first time Sadguru, not first time, but Sadguru was going uh, after many years, and we um, called it Kashi Krama. So um, my grandmom was. born and brought up in kashi for many years so she always spoke about it so my plan was to go to kashi with sacred isha sacred walks for 3 days and then stay on with with my other cousin and my granny would fly for 7 days so when i went to kashi with isha sacred walks like it was such a overwhelming place like it was so crowded it was so dirty it was so noisy it was so chaotic i got so scared i was like, i don't want to be here i want to leave out you know i just like but then they took you to all these like really powerfully you know consecrated spaces and and then you just get used to the whole space and then you realize it's such an interesting city like every nook and corner there's something happening like you know there's so much life there's so much activity everywhere and so many temples like so many like like consecrated spaces uh it was such an experience. Experience. I would highly recommend that you go there as soon as possible. It was such an experience, and so we did all. And then at the Ganga, we had an initiation or a process. You could call it with Sadguru. We all went like uh, I don't know what to call them. Like they're not like small boats, but those double decker boats. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know they have two decks, whatever. And then we all were sitting on one. Sadguru was in one, and there were his other some other people, and then other groups. So it was very beautiful. We were facing uh, Manikarnika Ghat, is the ghat where they uh, burn dead bodies. And he made us do a process where he said, "You just look at these burning ghats, and you just look at your child burning, and you look at it for what it is." He said, "Don't look at it as an emotional thing. Just look at it for what it is, and whatever is happening, let it happen." So. you know it was pretty intense like there was music playing and all of that and it was very intense i mean for me because i don't have a child i couldn't really go on with that so i was i went on like burning people i know you know um family friends and it was really intense the whole process was so intense and it just made me feel like gosh she is so old like i don't know but at that moment i just felt like i just felt the vibe of that place you know so ancient like i don't even know what that meant but it just made me feel so old in a way not old but like it was very beautiful the process and just to look at that fire and to see you know to or to visualize like to lose them you know it, it was a very intense process you know death is so important and i think it's all we are always reminded of it being on the path by isha foundation by satguru so it was a it was a very hum, again humbling process you know pilgrimages have always been very humbling for me you know they just enriched me they just always been so humbling and like it was very grounding the whole experience and then then we went for then i went for my own pilgrimages where we went to lots of devi temples one one evening one day three of us isha meditators and there's just so much happening at kashi you know it's just a very very uh ancient place lot of significance so yeah <laughs> that was my experience was- thank you thank you for sharing 
It was wonderful. Uh -huh. It was wonderful to, to, to listen to your story and, and get all of these insights. Thank you so much for, for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. It was very interesting to just share and have like, you know, to open up and talk about all of these experiences. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sure people will love listening to, to your experience. I yeah. hope so. I hope I didn't speak too much. No. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it's, it's been quite a blessing for all of us, I think, to just, you know, encounter this. And hopefully more and more people are inclined to it. It'll be yeah. so nice. It's happening. It's already happening. It's happening. Yeah, I'm, I'm always being. I'm always skeptical. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. No, I can. I can see it even even here in Germany. I can see it. Friends from mine who 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 are picking up a Sadhguru book. Uh, people who start to meditate. A lot of people who start to meditate, and yoga. Still, most of the yoga that people do is gym yoga. But mm -hmm. as Sadhguru said, once we have. 10,000 people teaching yoga, Isha Hatha Yoga committed, then it will naturally move into that direction. So, mm -hmm. And you're planning teacher training too, right? Next year. This, this year, this year. This year, this year, sorry. Yeah, this year. <laughs> it's, it's one of the best things that happened for me, teacher training. I'm really excited for you. It'll yeah. be so nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I will stop the recording. I'm looking for I'm, I'm looking at this doggy. Anyway, so I'm looking forward to it. Yes. We're recording again. Yes. <laughs> to say bye. <laughs> Are you serious? No way. No, start again. Because I know earlier you just like abruptly stopped the recording. So thank you so much, Sunaina, for coming to the podcast. Thanks, Stephen, for having me. This was a lot of fun. And I'm waiting to watch the full video once it's out thank you, thank you. Have a wonderful thank you so much for tuning in please do hit the like button also comment down below where you guys have tuned in from it's always nice to know and finally hit that subscribe button and the notification bell Namaskar.